on the future, folks. We're, we live in the now. We're living today. We're living right now on this Sunday. I believe this is September 4th, 2022. We may not be here tomorrow. I may not be here. You may not be here. There's a pastor from, well, he pastored a church in uh, Memphis, Tennessee uh, called Robert G. Lee. And he made one of the most profound statements I've ever heard of such a thing to do with this very subject. And he said, oftentimes, oftentimes today is crucified between two thieves, tomorrow and yesterday. And oftentimes that's, that's absolutely the case. We'll, we'll dwell on what happened yesterday. We'll be concerned about what happened. Knowing that there ain't a whole lot that we can do about it, it's in the past. It's in the past. It's already in the, in the tables of time. Nothing, nothing that we can do about it. Or we'll worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. And if we're worried about yesterday and worried about tomorrow, what are we doing with today? What are we doing with today? And James asks the question, or makes a statement here, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. We have no idea of what will be on the morrow. And he asks the question, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. This is a popular verse. I've heard it preached at a, a many a funeral. I've heard it uh, uh, preached many times just in regular services. But something that I, believe, I personally believe is overlooked more often than not is that James makes this very personal. Most people, when they quote this verse, they say, James says in James chapter 4, it says, what is life? No, it don't. James says, what is your life? What is your life? It's a personal question that James is say, asking here. What is your life? But he gives us the answer. It is but a vapor. And that's all it is. And he's saying it's fleeting. It's here for just a little while and it's gone. He compares it to a vapor. Many times in the scripture we see, uh, we see people talking about the years of their life and how fast they've gone. My goodness, you look over in Genesis chapter 47, Jacob standing there before Pharaoh. Jacob had lived 130 years and he said, few of my days been an evil. Few. After 130 years, the man said that my days have been few because it had gone by so fast that it, it had just flown by. I used to think my parents were just crazy old people when they said, the older you get, the faster time will go. And I thought, well, you're just an old person. You don't know what you're talking about. And the older I get, the more I realize my mom and my daddy were absolutely right. It goes a lot quicker. I ain't saying a second lasts, uh, lasts any less. I ain't saying a minute uh, has, has been shaved down to 58 or 57 seconds. I'm just saying that it goes a whole lot quicker. And you uh, in here that have got some age on you, you probably agree with that. I did. I remember thinking that when I was a kid. My parents were just stupid old people. They don't know what they're talking about. And we all thought that about our parents. We all thought we knew more than they did. The folks, they knew what they were talking about. James knew what he was talking about. The other people in Scripture knew what they were talking about. He says, it, it, uh, James says, it is, uh, it's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Wow. Jesus spoke a parable over in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it is. About a, basically he was a rich farmer but this farmer he, he says look at what I've done look at the crops I've yielded look at what I've brought in he says my goodness I'm going to have to build or tear down my storehouses and I'm going to have to build bigger and I'm going to have to build better and what does the Lord say in that parable he 
called him a fool. Without fools, this not thy soul will be required of thee. And then he asked the question, then who's going to end up with you good? Then who's going to end up with what, you, what you've worked so hard to attain? My goodness, why did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, lay not up for yourselves treasures here on earth, lay them up in heaven, because what's here on earth is temporal, including your life, including my life. It's very temporal, it's very fleeting, it's very fast, and it goes, goes by. And folks, I'm telling you, if, 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 if you don't have children and grandchildren, I mean, uh, you can't really com compare this to it. my kids, though. I got one that'll be 26 next month. I got one that's 21. I got a grandbaby that's almost two. And I can't believe my grandbaby's almost two. I can't believe my oldest boy's 26. I can't believe my youngest boy's 21. It seems like literally yesterday or last week at the most, I was dropping them off for their first day of kindergarten. It goes by so fast. It's a vapor. It's a vapor. So be careful. Be careful what we assume. It's not an accident that James, and it's not a coincidence that James says here, when he, said, when he says in verse 13, uh, he says, go to now. In other words, he's saying, come now. Listen to this. Much like when uh, the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 1, he says, come now, let us reason together. Saying, saying you know, uh, uh, go to now, you that say, uh, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Be careful with your assumptions. Be careful with, this, uh, with assuming these things. Whereas ye know not what uh, shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, verse 15, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And we just read this, we glance over it, we say, well, we shouldn't say, well, tomorrow I'm going to go to Bristol and I'm going to do this or that, or tomorrow I'm going to go to Greenville, or tomorrow I'm going to sleep in. We should say, if it's the Lord's will, tomorrow I'm going to sleep in. And we leave it at that. That's not what James is saying here either. That's part of what he's saying. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this, or do that. First of all, it's completely up to God whether I take another breath or not. Completely up to God. The average person takes about 17,000 breaths a day. Some people might take a little more, some people might take a little less, but the average is about 17,000 breaths per day. I don't know that my next one might be my last, and you don't know either. So, if it's the Lord's will, we shall live, but he goes on and says, and do this. Or do that. Do what? What are we to do? What's the conclusion of the whole matter according to Solomon and Ecclesiastes? To obey God. To obey God. To do His will. What is the this or that? What is the do this or that there? Well, if it's the Lord's will that we live, it's the Lord's will that we serve Him. It's the Lord's will that we do for him. It's the Lord's will that we edify the church. It's the Lord's will that we exhort the brethren. It's the Lord's will that we pray to him. It's the Lord's will that we not forsake the assembling of ourselves. It's the Lord's will that we do all of these things, that we do this or that. I believe that's exactly what James was getting at here. 
because he's comparing our life with a, va uh, uh, with a vapor, something that we can see for just a moment, and then it's gone. And he says, but for that ye ought to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. If the Lord wills it, folks, it ain't going to be something bad. We know from James chapter 1, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lies. If it's good and it's perfect, it came from God. If it's not, it came from below. If it, but if it's good and perfect, it came from above. But if it be the Lord's will that we live, I can promise you it's the Lord's will that you do good, that you do his service, that you do for him, that you do for Christ, that you do for your brethren, that you do for the needy. That's the this or that that we need to be concerned with. Not, not little things that aren't going to matter in the future. And folks, I ain't saying lay down everything. I ain't saying sell your house. I know Vern touched on it uh, not too awful long ago, maybe last week, about how many people say they want an Acts chapter 2 church. Well, if you read towards the end of Acts chapter 2, then people were selling everything they had and giving it to the church. I don't see any of us doing that. So do we really want that or not? That's not the question. But be careful with your assumptions. Be careful with your assumptions of what you do. And make sure that what you're planning on doing, what you're planning on doing is lining up with the Lord's will. If it be the Lord's will, you're going to live. And if it's the Lord's will that you live, the Lord's got things in mind for you in his service, Amen. for his good, and for his glory. Amen. That's, that's what we do, folks. That's what we do as Christians. We bring glory to God. That's the very purpose that God saved your soul, was to bring glory unto him. There's all kinds of things that bring glory to God. But salvation and lost man is, is the, the, the pinnacle of the way for God to get glory because we don't deserve it. We didn't merit it. We've done nothing good. We've done nothing good in or of ourselves. Uh, to inherit it, God did that completely and utterly by himself through the death of the only begotten Son, the Father, on Calvary's Amen. cross. Hallelujah. And he brings glory to himself through us in that. So if our life is, is but a vapor, make sure every fleeting moment that is passing and every fleeting moment that you have planned in the future is centered on God's will for your life. If it's his will that you live, it's his will that you bring him glory. But now you rejoice in your boastings, verse 16. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. A lot of times we hear this quoted, verse 17, but we leave verse 16 out. They go hand in hand. But, ye, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. All such rejoicing in our own boastings. And what we've done, as I just said, salvation, you had nothing to do with your salvation. You had zero to do with it. You weren't seeking God any more than I was seeking God when I got saved. And none of us were seeking God. Uh, the Bible says there's none that seeketh after righteousness. No, not one. There's none that seeketh God. There's none that look for him. That's why God had to come to where we were. That's why God had to come and save us. You read over in the book of Exodus when, when God's talking to Moses from the burning bush. 
It says that God came down. It was personal with God what the Egyptians had done with his people. It was personal to him what they had done with his chosen, with the apple of his eye. God came down. It was personal to him. And it's, that's what makes it a personal relationship between myself and Jesus Christ or yourself and Jesus Christ. Is God came to you in your lowest, in your darkest state, in your darkest sin, knowing all about it, God came to where you were and saved your soul. Now you rejoice in your boastings. Which all such rejoicing is evil. What's a good example of this? I can think of one right off the top of my head. That's a man that was well known in Scripture for putting his foot in his mouth named Peter. What did Peter do? Well, when Jesus was talking about how he was going to be crucified, said, I've got to be handed over in the hands of sinful men, over in the hands of the Gentiles. They're going to mock me. They're going to beat me. They're going to do all these horrible things to me. And he's telling them this just before, basically, that it happened. And he, he says, and Jesus makes a statement, you'll all be offended of me. Every man will be offended of me. And Peter puffs up and says, I'll never be offended of you. He says, I'll go with you even to the death, Lord. And that's when Jesus told him, this night thou shalt deny me thrice. He'll deny me three times. That was Peter rejoicing in his own boasting, saying, I'm strong enough. I can do this. I can do it all on my own because I love you that much, Lord. We better be careful with that. We better be careful with that. I, I would equate that to the people that... Uh, you know, say, well, I'm going to go out to the bars and be a light for Jesus. I ain't saying it's impossible. I'm saying you better make sure the Lord's in it before you do that. Or you'll be you'll be trouncing around the bars just like the your buddies that, that you went supposedly to be a witness to. Be cautious with such things. But now rejoice. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Be careful of our boasting. Be careful what we say. Well, I've done this and I've done that. Even if it's for the church. Even if it's, if it's feeding the hungry. Even if it's clothing the naked. Even if it's helping the needy. Even if it's uh, looking after the widows and the orphans. Even these things. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about these things. But folks, there's a point where it becomes boasting. There's a point, and I've heard it myself. I've heard myself, and if that's the case, you done robbed yourself out of every blessing you ever dreamed of getting out of it. If, if that's the case, if you're using it so that man will look at you and say, look what this one's doing for the Lord. You know who done that in the scriptures? The Pharisees. The Pharisees acted that way. They're the ones that stood on the street corners and made the long prayers. They're the ones that sought after the high seats. They're the ones that sought after the praise of men. And they're the ones that were rebuked the hardest by Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Be careful in your boastings. And now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And folks, this, this flows both ways. Like I said, we hear this, this verse quoted over and over and over. And it's true. It's very true. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If we know that we're supposed to do good, and boasting in what we've done for God isn't good, but if we know that we're supposed to do good and we don't do it, to him it is sin. 
And when I said it flows both ways, this is for lost folks and for saved folks. Now keep in mind, James was writing to saved folks here. He was writing to people that had professed the name of Jesus Christ all throughout this letter. But this goes the same way. Uh, for lost and saved alike. If we know to do good and we do it not, to us it's sin. If we know we should be studying. If we know we should be praying. Instead of doing a million other things that might be on our mind or on our agenda. If we know that we're supposed to be doing something that's going to help us spiritually, it's going to feed us spiritually, and we're doing something else, folks, that's sin. Plain and simple. It's just as much sin for a Christian to, to have that attitude and to sit in their recliner or on their couch or lie in their bed or wherever they're at and be doing something else and knowing in the back of their mind and thinking in the back of their mind, you know, I could be using this time for Bible study. I could be using this time to pray. Didn't so-and-so request prayer for such-and-such this morning or a couple of days ago at church? I could be using this time for that, but I'd rather sit here and do this. Folks, that's sinful. It's sinful for us to do that. And it is just as sinful for a Christian to do that as it is for a lost person to sit in the pew and reject the drawing of the Holy Ghost. They know to do good. They know that they're sinners. They know that they need a Savior. They know that they need salvation, and yet they'll sit in a pew, sometimes Sunday after Sunday, or service after service, whether it be uh, weeks in a row, or whether it be you know months in a row. They know what to do good is, and they know that they should be saved. They know that they would like to be saved. They sit there in their seat. And you know why they do that? Because they're in love with their sin. They're in love with their sin. They don't want to give it up. Same reason you may not have got saved the first time the good Lord ever dealt with you. I know I didn't. Why was that? Because I was in love with my sin. I was in love with myself. I was in love with my life, my lust, my desires, what I wanted. And I boasted in those things. And I boasted in that simple life. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. A lot of people will take this verse and they'll twist it just a little bit. Be careful with folks that do that because of this word knoweth here. Well, if I don't know that it's sin, I don't do it. Then is it really, am I really held accountable for it? Well, it depends on exactly what you think knowing and unknowing is. God more tolerant of ignorant sin? Depends on who you ask. My Bible says in the book of Acts that at one time God winked at ignorance, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. At one time he did. But all of us, everyone, has a conscience. All of us know the difference between right and wrong. All of us know the difference between good and evil. And therefore, to the one that knows to do good and does it not, to them it is sin. You know, you know, y'all heard me say it before. If you got to ask the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or the deacon, is this sin? There's about a 99.9% chance it's sin. If you're trying to gain someone else's permission before you do it, or you know, to, to clean your cleanse your mind of it, to ease your mind. If you got to ask about it, chances are it's sin. I just leave it alone. You need to toss that out the window. You know, 
love to do good and who could not, to him that sinned. When I said it was closed both ways, for saved and lost alike. We, if, if we know that we're supposed to be doing something, and we don't do it, well, instead of sin, and sometimes it's sin against your neighbor and God, sometimes it's just sin against God. There's no such thing as, as just sin against your neighbor. If you sin against your neighbor, you sin against God as well. I've heard people yeah. make, make the distinction between uh, between those two, sin against your neighbor and sin against God. It's, it's bad enough to, to sin against one, but when you sin against two, my goodness. But there's no such thing as, as sinning or transgressing or trespassing against your neighbor and not doing it against God. So Y'all be careful with people. If you ever hear somebody make that distinction, that's a very wrong distinction. Anyway, that wraps up James chapter 4.